Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, And today's episode is with a good friend of mine, David Nurse. David is one of the top uh, shooting coaches. He works with top performers in the NBA. And he wrote a book recently called Pivot and Go, which is all about how to effectively pivot during challenging times. Given that we are uh, recording amidst the coronavirus pandemic and many of us uh, around the country and around the world are being forced to pivot, I thought it'd be really uh, helpful to have David on the show. So it's my great pleasure to share with you a conversation we recently had about tools you can use to pivot in your life and how we can get our mindset in a, in, a, in a good way so that as we approach those challenges, we can see the opportunity in the obstacles. With that, I hope you really enjoy today's episode. If you do, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review. It means the world to me and helps us to move up in the algorithm and grow this community. Thank you guys so much for your time and attention and for listening. And without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only David Nurse. All right. I am here with my good friend, David Nurse. David, how are you, my friend? Michael Trainer, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Brother, I am, I am doing well considering. Um, so David, for context, uh, you know, is, is a good friend of mine. He also happens to be one of the top uh, mindset coaches out there, works with a lot of the foremost uh, players in the NBA. And he uh, he basically helps people focus on one getting their mindset right, but two, which I thought was incredibly potent and powerful for the time in which we're recording. Really, I mean, for our generation in general, but this notion of how we how we make effective pivots, and we're recording amidst the the sort of coronavirus pandemic, where you know there's there's tens of millions of Americans who are now find themselves uh, unemployed. Um, even when we, they were employed, you know, we're in a, a brand new generation. You know, the average, you know, at least in America, the average person has over 10 jobs before the age of 40. It's no longer the the older generation of, you know, work 30, 40 years within a company, get a gold watch when you retire. So I feel like this notion of how we effectively pivot is so timely. And uh, my, 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 my man has a new book out called Pivot and Go. And, uh, and I, I dove into it and I just think the principles are really helpful, uh, for all of you out there listening. So yeah, man, David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm feeling great. And, uh, I want to hear about, I want to hear about all the principles for pivoting brother. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. I mean, there's no better time that we live in right now to understand how vital it is to be able to pivot. Cause I mean, this book, when I, when I wrote it, Michael, we'll just talk about it just briefly to, to get us rolling, but it was it was geared towards people who felt stuck. Now, raise your hand if you haven't felt stuck during this coronavirus crisis. Everybody's going through some type of feeling of stuck. And to get out of it, to see the positives that are going to come out of it, it takes doing mindset pivots. And why I call mindset pivots is because change is very daunting. Change is a big thing to take on and it's hard for people to do. But if you slightly turn your perspective, which is a pivot, and actually, in basketball terms, it is a, a move that is used to simulate if you're covered by the defense and you can't see any openings, you slightly turn and everything is open. Same thing in life. Mindset pivots are about making small perspective shifts that can change your entire perspective. 
Yeah, I love that. You talk actually a, a little bit about this notion, and I like how you use the obviously, which is totally apropos, but basketball and, and basketball analogies. You know, for those who are into sports, you know, a lot of times, you know, we talk about the notion of seasons, right? You'll have your off season, you have your regular season, then you have your playoff season. And, and, you know, obviously in the context of nature, we have various seasons as well. You, you know, you have your sort of metaphorical winter and your metaphorical summer. Um, but one of the things that I loved is you breaking things down into, for example, into quarters, um, which is even breaking it down uh, further when you're talking about the context of a game. And it evoked in me uh, a couple of, of really potent uh, stories that I had heard previously, one of which was a gentleman who I don't know if you ever saw Touching the Void. Did you ever see that film? No, I never did. Dude, you got to watch it. So this guy, it's a true story. He's climbing in, uh, he's climbing in South America in the Andes. And he gets, he basically falls into this huge crevasse ice climbing, breaks his femur and is left for dead by his climbing partner. Cause basically no one would have survived and make a long story short. He climbs out, but the only way that he is able to survive, which is miraculous that he did is that he breaks down. He can't focus on, you know, how, you know, the tragedy of how his life has changed. He can't focus on how he's going to get down these, you know, however many thousands of feet it is back to base camp where likely his friend has already left anyway. So what he does is he just focuses on the 10 feet in front of him, which to me felt very analogous to your talking about sort of this notion of quarters and breaking things down. But I feel like when people get overwhelmed, we often, you know, get get caught in the narrative of this huge obstacle before us. And I feel like one of the things that I've found to be super helpful and one of the things I've seen uh, in, in that narrative and then got, was reminded of in, in, in going through the book was this idea of how we can break things down into component parts and start to create exponential change through incremental shifts. Can you talk a little bit about that notion of this kind of the micro pivot, if you will? I love that. And, and I'm all about setting big, crazy, out of this world dream goals, like setting really big goals and setting them, making them very specific. But like you said, it's very overwhelming when that whole pie is out there in front of us and breaking it down into micro pivots and micro habits that you develop. And it's so key to have a blueprint for actually how you're going to get there. So we say go big, dream big, but go small. And what I call them is the 1% steps. It's like, what can you do every day to know that when you lay your head down and go to sleep at the end of the day, you have improved 1% in some area. And there's different blueprint action plans that I like to give to my players or high performers that I'm working with. That'll really just put them in that frame of like, okay, I have the big three. This is one of my favorite ones that I do. And it's, it's every single night before you go to bed, you write down your big three things that you're going to accomplish the next day. That way, after your morning routine and after you go through that, you're ready to attack it. You know what is on the plate in front of you. And you have that structured in. That's a one, and you know at the end of the day, you got 1% better. You improved 1%. I have a rule that I'm going to text or video message a friend just to encourage them. I'm going to do that to two people every single day. So that's another thing that's on my list. I got to check that off. I got to make sure that, hey, I, I did this. I know that I encourage two people. I help serve two people a day. And then it's a compounding effect. Like you said, 
There's nothing more powerful than stacking these 1% days, day after day after day. The most, the most powerful thing is momentum. And momentum builds momentum and compounds into a term that I call relentless consistency. And basically, that is the ultimate term somebody can give to you, a compliment that you are relentlessly consistent, meaning you're going to show up every single day the same way, no matter what, no matter how difficult it is, and take those 1% steps forward. Yeah, I love that idea. And I think it's so applicable to everyone's life. I mean, I think most of the time when we get off track, when we lose sight of the path before us, it's because... Uh, we've we've set too big of a goal and it feels too daunting, which makes it easy to in some ways give up or yeah. to take a day off, if you will. Whereas when you set it into micro steps that are super achievable and also that make it about sort of getting that that 1% better, you know, like for me, I just hit yesterday, which you and I chatted about a little bit. I just hit my goal weight, which I've been working on for the last few months. Yeah. I was at about 220, 230, and I was like, you know what? I want to get back down before my, my, my next birthday. I want to get back down to the weight I was at at high school, which wow. was 198. And interestingly enough, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've never had a huge weight challenge, but I have definitely been overweight, et cetera. And what, what I did was, for me, there were two things, a couple core pieces. But one is, for me, I cut out drinking, which, I, which I've done for the last nine months, Two, I, I started intermittent fasting. And okay. basically every day, some days I would have, you know, like I would, you know, I'd eat the Tate's cookies or I'd eat the thing, you know, and it was like, I wouldn't beat myself up. I'd just be like, you know what? I'm going to be 1% better tomorrow. I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to go down that road of that cookie. I'm not going to. And I would see what it was in my mind. You know, generally speaking, it was stress. It wasn't like the cookie. It was like something that triggered me wanting to go back to that emotional eating. And so for me, get, giving myself several months and just trying to get 1% better every day enabled me over time to have that, that consistency you're talking about, right? That macro pivot to where yesterday I finally broke in. And, and I actually, this is the first time I've talked about it, but I hit, I, I hit 198. So I was like, all right, I've done it. And I didn't do it because I was like, man, I've got to lose X, Y numbers of pounds. It was more like, I'm going to start taking on the lifestyle choices that I feel like are commensurate with my values. And then every day I'm just going to look to get that 1% better, which led to a macro pivot, but it, but was all, it was a result of many, many, many micro pivots and maintaining that mindset. And I know you work with a lot of the top performers in the world. Uh, and I just went deep down, probably many people listening actually went deep down the rabbit hole of the last dance, which was, you know, I grew up in Chicago yeah. with the 90s era uh, Chicago Bulls and, and, and watching and getting a behind the scenes insight into the mindset of competitors like Michael Jordan and, you know, sort of the introduction of folks like Kobe Bryant um, was fascinating to see kind of how they maintain that consistently high performance over time. Given the fact that you work with many of the, the top players in the NBA, when, when someone gets into, if you will, a slump, right? Mm -hmm. Or a, you know, kind of it hits a, an area of challenge. I mean, even they showed kind of, you know, Michael Jordan, when he was amidst his challenge, uh, given, given what happened with his father and his, you know, horrific murder, you know, that, that also obviously deeply shook his mindset. And that's actually when he, 
partly when he shifted to baseball and then he came back and then was able to consistently perform at the highest level. What, what do you find or what's your counsel for folks who are going through slumps or what do you see with some of these top performers in the world in helping them to, to break through uh, mental challenges such that they can get back to that sort of level of peak performance? That is such a good question. And it's a big point of emphasis that I work on with these players because they go through times that people would term as slumps. And all of us in our life go through these situations where we're not at the top of our game or we are having a lot of self-doubt creep in and we're going through, quote unquote, a slump. So I'm going to talk to you about uh, I'm going to give you some tools on how you can not just get out of this slump, come unstuck, but pivot this this type of mindset for future success. So I do a lot with redefining, with pivoting terms and, and changing them, reframing them. So when an NBA player comes to me and says, man, uh, I'm in a slump, and I'll ask all my guys, like, hey, when was the last slump you were in? And I can see their body language changing, and they're saying, like, oh, you know, I missed 10 shots the last game. I was just, I was just horrible. And then I'll ask them, when was the last time you were in a shooting hippopotamus? And they'll look at me they're like, David, what, what are you talking about? You're crazy. But what I did there was I just changed the, changed the term from slump to hippopotamus because we all grow up learning certain terms that have certain connotations with them. Our subconscious automatically puts that term slump as a negative thing. And we're already thinking once you, once you start thinking these negative thoughts, it's just like the positive. It compounds and compounds even more in a powerful way. So just like words like failure or success or confidence, there's a term that is meant that the world is put into our subconscious growing up. We all, we all know these terms generally accepted, but they're not really actually what they mean. And we can create, we can redefine our own terms. So I always do that. I always redefine vocabulary. And then I'll also, I've got some other steps on creating what I call unshakable confidence with these players. So everybody in the NBA and everybody in life has had what I call a highlight reel. Like you were just killing it. Maybe you're on a phone call. Maybe you're in a business meeting, whatever it was. These players, their best game, they have their highlight reel. So I will go through this highlight reel with them, whether they're saying it out loud or visualizing it or actually watching the clips of them at their best. I'll have them do it before every practice before every game, before they go to bed. So it just gets embedded in their mind that this is who they are. They're not the person that is going through this slump or this self-doubt. You can live in this ultimate in-the-zone moment because, Michael, we all wake up with this issue of of self-doubt, of the imposter syndrome. And you have what I call the foggy mirror. Every morning you wake up, you have a foggy mirror. And it's your choice if you want to let that that mirror stay foggy and fog up even more, or you take your hands and you wipe it away. And that's part of living in your highlight reel. So we're redefining vocabulary. We're living in our highlight reel. And we are also, I never, I never tell a player, like, this is your points that you scored in the game. This is your shooting percentage. We are not determining any of their success on the court based on results not at all because they don't just rise and fall they'll have good games they'll have bad games it's going to happen to everyone so everything that they find their self-awareness is in who they are in the process in the work that they put in like i'll tell a player 
And if, if you miss 10 shots in a game and they were all great shots for you, for your team, your great area shots, that's perfect. That's what we track. We don't track the results, which is just the end product of the process. We literally track the process and they find joy in being able to do that because they know that they have control of that. We don't always have control of the results, but we can control the process we take. So tell me more about that for those listening, because it, it sounds like part of this is a reframe, which I like in terms of the environment. If you were to look at words as anchors mm-hmm. and the anchors that you surround yourself with or that you build your house around in terms of your thoughts, it's like those words become thoughts, thoughts become feelings, feelings become your reality. Um, what are the ways in which you're, for lack of a better term, building that muscle so that it's a consistent yeah. muscle, right? So it's like, okay, I get it. You're, you're framing a new, a new sort of mental landscape, if you will. But how does that then become the identity, right? Like how does it move from an idea? Uh, it, it becomes I'm anchoring myself in my previous performance, my previous success, my, my, my great, you know, my flow states, if you will. Yeah. How do those flow states, how does that muscle of highlight reel become an, like literally the way in which you identify yourself? So another great question. And I mean, it all is based on the compounding effect and the 1% steps that you're taking daily. And to hit on a point you said earlier, where you said you had that cookie and you didn't beat yourself up for it. That's great because there is no straight line to success. It's always curvy. So whenever you do fall off and you don't take a 1% step forward, you can get back on the horse and go again. But basically it's, it's all about putting these putting these days, these doing this, living in this highlight reel day after day after day and continuing to do it. And 28 days is the day, the amount of days that most people say that's when you can create a habit, when your mind triggers that you have the muscle memory myelin wound around that you create a habit. And I love habits. I love routines, but I want to make it a lifestyle. I want to live this lifestyle. So this rhythm and this flow of living in this in this flow state or in the zone or in the highlight reel, whatever you want to call it, is something that just naturally happens. And that's on day 29. That's, that's, that's your choice. 28 days makes the habit. Day 29 is the choice you get to make it a lifestyle. So it is all about continuing to do it time after time. And I'm a big believer in living what you see yourself to be. Now, I'm going to give you a quick story on that. My, my uncle is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, and they just won the NBA championship last year. And it was his first year as an NBA head coach, and everybody was looking around. They're like, oh, man, you know, lucky lightning struck, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Like, it was just pure luck. But, but he's been coaching for 27 years as a head coach in small colleges, countries you don't even know play basketball. Like, I've seen him taping players' ankles before the game, popping popcorn at halftime. But – But what he did is he, at 22 years old, when he started, he got his first coaching job at a very, very, very small school. He cut out a picture of himself with an NBA trophy, and he looked at that every single day. He was an NBA head coach at 22, not not just 27 years later when it actually happened, but he lived in that. He spoke that into existence, yes, and then he took those steps of treating every single situation he was in, any coaching situation, no matter what it was, he treated it like it was an NBA championship game. Instead of thinking something's too too far below him or he's never going to get there, he just took it 
day by day, step by step, and understood that, man, one of my favorite quotes out there is that it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And in his case, it took 27 years to become an overnight success. So, so to wrap up your question, it's, it's all about those taking the 1% steps, understanding that it is going to take a long time to get there, but everything you do every day is a preparation for the opportunity to come. And you don't know if it's going to come 10 years, 12 years, maybe three years, maybe 27 years. But if you prepare daily for it, you will be ready when your opportunity comes. Yeah, I, I totally re- can relate and resonate with that because whenever I've, I've set off to launch a seemingly impossible yeah. vision, it is definitively sort of holding that vision and actually believing in it um, sort of that keeping the end in mind, if you will, from the seven habits of highly effective people, like literally living into that vision, even and especially when it seems impossible. Um, what, what, let me ask you this question. When, when you're doing that process though, when you're, when you're amidst that, let's, 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 let's ground it into a reality. I think a lot of people can relate to right now. So say for example, you know, you're at home right now, you've lost your job, um, you are unsure, you know, this, we're, we're now amidst coronavirus, you know, we're unsure within the context of a year, you know, we may be heading for a global recession, etc. Now, some people will thrive no matter what the circumstance, right? No matter what the context they're in, whereas others feel sort of deeply at effect to, uh, and they, and, and there are circumstances which are beyond their control, which definitively affect their reality. So for those folks who are listening, who may be going through that really hard time and they have that vision, right? And maybe for them, it's not being the head coach, but may, for, what, for whatever that may look like for them, right? Like it's, it's to be a New York Times bestseller. It's to, it's to you know, have a family. It's to, whatever that goal is that, that they want to hold on to that now seems somehow further away and beyond their control, are there any mindset tips or hacks, if you will, uh, that you would recommend um, that, that people can use to um, hold on, if you will, to that vision, that picture in their mind, that, that 27-year you know, commitment when it feels like they've gotten pushed backwards, right? Like not even like they're like off track, but literally it's like, wow, circumstances now have like blown me, uh, you know, blown me backwards. Like, it's like you're sailing towards a shore and all of a sudden you wake up and, and you're, and you're, you're, you know, you're 30 days behind where you, where you had been. Um, how do you find that you can help people navigate back, uh, back on track and back to a place where they're, they're holding still that vision, but can do it in a way that, um, empowers them to be delivering those consistent 1% day in, day out after they feel like they've been pushed really far backwards. Yeah, so there's a few tools, and it's that's a real struggle, and it's obviously something that we've never been before through this time of our life. But really, the, the tools that I would give for that would be something that I call is is self confidence through comparison, meaning you look for somebody who has gone through an incredibly tough time or something that you that nobody thought they could possibly do. And they become very successful. They reach their goals. And there's so, so many stories out there of like the, the Oprah's or 
Thomas Edison's and creating the light bulb and how many failures he went through and difficult struggles. There's a ton of stories of that out there. So look those up. That will give you confidence through comparing yourself to others. A lot of people say comparison is unhealthy. The Instagram, that type of wanting to get likes is unhealthy. But if you see someone who's gone through something, I mean, I know we can't say they've gone through coronavirus, but they've gone through a very difficult time. And and standing with their dreams, with their goals, when people said they could not do it and there's no way out, that gives you a lot of confidence knowing that 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 they made it through and that that you can make it through as well. And then, man, just just being understanding that, hey, this this is the goal. It's going to take longer than I thought. Like I might have to make some pivots along the way in my goal. But knowing that everything that you have already been through and I'll tell this to everybody is is every difficult situation you've been through, you've made it through. Like you, you've made it through. You, if you're listening to this, you're alive. You've made it through every tough time. You're going to make it through this time. And it's tough if you look at that big picture, but if you can just look at the little daily wins, and like we're talking about, I know it sounds redundant to say these 1% steps during this time, but maybe it's even, to be honest with you, like – steps in getting closer to your family, like using this time to develop a new skill that you would never had time for. Like me coming out of this, man, I was on the verge of, I I was getting big talks with companies. I just done Nestle at Intel, Dell, I had a ton of them lined up. And then this happened and I'm looking at like, wow, right when I have all this momentum, now there's no more talks going on. But honestly, I've learned to work with Zoom. I'm now a master at how to do Zoom. And when I come out of this thing, the talks are going to come back. Life is going to come back. And now I'm going to have this ability to do it from my house, being here with my wife instead of traveling like a crazy maniac all the time. So I get the best of both worlds. So I think it's, it's, it's those and added in the fact that if you just pivot, your, pivot the perspective, no matter how hard you think it is right now, everybody's going through it. So we're going through it together, that you're going to come out better than you went in before you can use this crisis to prepare for opportunity to come in some areas that you that you didn't think you would be able to do before. You look at others throughout history who have been through super difficult times. You compare yourself to them. You learn from them. And just, just adding all those together is, is what I would tell people to do and what I have told people to do when they're really finding this a very tough time to feel like they're making progress in their goals. Yeah. I can, I can resonate with that. I feel like it's a lot of it comes down to your frame yeah. and that notion of comparison is obviously counterintuitive because, you know, so much of the, what holds people back at this time is, is the comparison culture. But I like how you draw that distinction, right? It's not in the Instagram sense of like compare my life to this person in a way that, that is um, debilitating or, or demoralizing, but in actuality using you know, the great mentorship possibility of comparison in the context of people who have gone before you that have have triumphed over tremendous adversity, you know, like reading, you know, about an Abraham Lincoln or a Nelson Mandela and 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 thinking about, okay, I mean, for me, at least I've gone back during this time to people who have gone through tremendous um, moments of challenge. And for me, you know, Nelson Mandela's perhaps my greatest uh, hero in in, in that, you know, I I so profoundly resonate with someone who can go through such profound personal adversity. Um, 27 years of imprisonment and come out at 80 years old 
and not see himself as a victim, but rather have such a mindset that he's able to totally turn around an entire nation. And to me, like, that's like, okay, who are the folks that are really embodying these virtues and really utilizing even challenge as a foundry for new possibility and new potential? And I think that there will be, you know, they, even from a company point of view, I mean, they, they talk about several of the uh, uh, companies that actually were founded during recessions, you know. So I think there are definitely ways in which to utilize challenge. One of the great books that I love, couple, I'll give a couple shouts out also, is, um, you know, Ryan Holiday has the obstacles the way that book has really served me. Yep. Uh, and, and Victor Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning is also incredible. I mean, talk about someone who was in the most horrific uh, context I can even ever imagine, right? Which is Auschwitz. But, yeah. but the idea of, of still seeing the possibility, even in, if you will, if you will a living hell, is profound. And I'll, I'll share a story that I think you'll, you'll dig, David. I've never shared this with you. I was down in Haiti after the earthquake in 2010, and I had gone down there. I was volunteering at the, the largest makeshift field hospital, and it was, it was pretty I, – I don't talk about it that often because it was actually quite traumatic to witness and see – you know, I mean, I literally uh, was there when several young children passed and it was it was very it was highly devastating, but it was also highly inspiring to see the spirit with which the people uh, shined. And there was a young man there named Wilfred Massena, and he had been he was a welder and he had been welding and lost his leg during the earthquake. And you would have loved this guy, David. Hopefully, one day I'll have the opportunity to introduce you to him. But he wound up carrying that leg for seven days. Now, of course, at that point, it was gangrenous and could not be uh, reaffixed. But he, I was with him the day he received his prosthesis. Right. So for many, when they were receiving their prosthetic limb, it was a reckoning, and they were they were definitely in a moment of sort of devastation of realizing for the rest of their life they would be on a you know a piece of plastic and metal. Well, Wilfred, I mean, he gets this leg and you would have thought it was Christmas times 100. I mean, this guy was literally like breakdancing. He was <laughs> kicking a soccer ball. He is like the embodiment of joy over this new lease on life. And uh, he goes on, he turns his welding skills into uh, learning how to make prosthesis. So he winds up becoming a prosthesis maker for women and, and children who have lost their limbs. And then he winds up uh, starting a soccer league for, for men who had lost legs uh, and, and then gets so inspired, he starts a soccer league for women and children who have lost their legs. And then the U.S. government catches wind of it and actually hires him to fly to the U.S. to train U.S. servicemen returning from Iraq and Afghanistan in how to play uh, soccer with, amputee, with, with amputations uh, and how to use prosthesis and still be, uh, you know, still play sports. So just such a, and I wound up having the opportunity to honor him at the first Global Citizen Festival because I was just so moved by the spirit that he embodied where most people I feel like would get debilitated and demoralized by the context of this, you know, forever altered life. 
Whereas Wilfred, to me, embodied that spirit of the pivot, where he literally turned his obstacle into his greatest opportunity, turned his skill into a new opportunity for welding prosthesis, and then turning that into this great success story and empowering others as a stand and contribution. And then the degree to which that led to a whole new vision of success, I think even beyond his own reckoning. So I share that because I just I feel like for those listening, there are ways in which if, some, if, if you choose to see the obstacle in a way that can be uh, turning, you know, for lack of a better word, forgive me for swearing, but shit and turning it into sort of spiritual compost, if you will, for, for gardens of new growth, there's such a way in which we can take these challenges if we see them uh, in that light and, and use them as, as grounds for new growth. And I feel like you really touch on that in the context of, you know, this notion of, you know, one, your frame, and then two, the way in which you can approach that on a day-to-day basis, such that you create a fundamentally different life. So I, I just, I was super inspired. And, and, and that's, that story was kind of a vote for me because, you know, I was like, man, here is the embodiment of someone who did the ultimate pivot in such a way that I, that I, a whole new world kind of flourished forth because, you know, he, he was a pivot, not just for himself, but a contribution for his community. Man, that's so beautiful. That's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Like that's, that's true inspiration. And man, you need to get him on your podcast for sure. That story will just blow up as it is. But what you're talking about there is so true, man. It's, and it's what I call thriving over surviving. And it's, it's literally any difficult situation that comes our way. We don't have to look at that as a difficult situation. Sure. It'll suck. But I honestly, man, when something happens, I'm like, yes, this is great. Number one, I know I'm going to learn and grow from it. And number two, I know I'm going to be able to help somebody else along the way, because no matter what, someone else is going to go through that same situation that you're going through right now, you're struggling right now. Maybe you even contracted the virus and you're sick right now. But think about the motivation, the inspiration, and just the guidance you can give somebody else through your struggles. So it is just, a, I mean, a, a great way of saying you're just reframing it. And instead of being scared of these difficult times, we embrace these times because we know we can give so much to the people coming behind us. Yeah, and I think that's what you said there is so powerful and so important because, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Tribe by Sebastian Younger, but he talks about this this notion of of that stand for the other and that notion of of basically in tribal tribal cultures, you know, and and we see this in sports and we see this in the military. You know, part of you know I think PTSD is not just the horror scene in war, but it's actually coming back from a place wherein maybe you're in hell on earth, you're in a a horrific situation, but you have a brother having your back. And that notion of someone who literally will go anywhere to, to, to be there for you is so much nurturing to the soul and to the spirit that to come back from that and then work at Walmart and, you know, to be in a place where you were fighting life or death for, for something you believed in to, you know, back in the mundane reality, I think a lot of the depression and the, and the, uh, and the trauma comes from feeling a lack of that sense of purpose. 
And I think one of the gifts of, of challenge and one of the gifts of adversity, not to romanticize it, but is the opportunity to band together. And I like that, for example, one of the steps you mentioned earlier was that notion of how you're a stand and a commitment for other people in your day-to-day activities, right? Like you're sending voice notes, you're sending you know, video messages. You're basically demonstrating your stand for community on a day-to-day basis. And for me, at least, when I'm in my stuckness or feeling like I'm in a place of challenge, the fastest way out of that is to be a stand for other people, is to focus out and to contribute to other people. And I feel like so much of what is possible right now in our collective pivot is to be a stand for each other and to focus out and focus. You know, I think one of the other beautiful opportunities is like, you know, you're working with like the most elite people out there. And at the same time, I imagine, you know, there's probably people that reach to you for mentorship. And I feel like one of the great things that we can do as a stand in our, in our, as, as a stand for community and contribution is yes, seek mentorship and seek counsel and seek to work with the best, but also, you know, look to be a gift and, and look to be of service to those yes. uh, who, who also need a hand up, you know? And that's one thing I've noticed about you just, you know, as, as an individual, you know, we, we built relations because you were consistent in reaching out to me, you know, when other people wouldn't, you know, Hey man, I hope you're doing well, sending me a text message you know, sending me, you know, inviting me, you started a a kind of a monthly dinner series, um, you know, pre-corona where you would have, you know, really wonderful leaders in the health and wellness community and you'd, you'd be inviting them for dinner. It's one thing I wanted to touch base with you on because I feel like one of the things that you have a real uh, magic with and a real way about you is in your, uh, is in your forging of community and being a stand for other people. And, and building that sense of tribe, if you will. What, if, what are your ways, you know, I don't know if the, how, how much you've thought about this consciously, yeah. but for those listening, I mean, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you approach uh, building that sense of community and, you know, if any tools or tactics you have and just your come from, like what, what, what you're seeing as a result. I mean, you're amidst, for example, right now, uh, a book, you know, a book launch and you didn't, you didn't reach out to me. I reached out to you because I felt like so many times you've reached out to me before to say, Hey man, love for you to meet this guy, you know, no pressure, like, you know, blah, 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 just with the, the vision of being a gift to other people. And I think that that yields result beyond even your reckoning. And I'd love to hear what, what's your, you know, what's your approach as you look at building community and being a contribution? Like, how do you, what's your sense about any, any insights into your mindset as well as tools and tactics? Man, great question. And thank you for those kind words. Like we had, we have to get those dinners going back again. That's going to be one of the biggest things once this coronavirus time is over. Those dinners are so much fun because we have people like you, man. Like that's, that's why I was so drawn to you is because you're genuine, you're real, you care deeply about others. So like we talk about in this community is it's, it's always iron sharpens iron and being around people that you know that are going to make you better and you can make them better. And that, that, that's what it's all about, as we know. And, and what I do is I, what, I, what I call the golden 15. So I, I, I talk about it actually in how I first started developing this. And like, I never really was one that I, I didn't like networking. I didn't like asking things of people. I just liked, like, I liked genuinely giving and seeing other people have success. And 
my favorite player growing up in the NBA was Steve Nash. And one thing about Steve Nash is he was kind of like me. That's why I saw myself in him, not athletic, short, not, I mean, not overly crazily gifted, but he would just, he led the NBA in high fives given and he averaged 239 high fives a game. Like that's incredible. High, that many high fives. I just, like just how much he was encouraging other people, how much he was pouring into other people. And I saw that and I was like, he's got so much joy. He's smiling, he's laughing. He's got so much joy with him that I kind of embodied that in the way that I played, in the way that I coached. And then just like when you see, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it when you're mentoring someone or you're helping someone along the way and you see them become excited and find their success, like that juices you up even more. And I absolutely love putting good people together. Like it's, it's one of my favorite things to do because I know both each other can benefit from each other. They can have a great relationship. And honestly, at the end of the day, like that is what life is, is about relationships. And that's what makes it fun. And I created what, what I call my golden 15. And I've, I've since uh, made it about my golden 100, but it's, it's people that I admire or people that, that I aspire to be like, and I want to be around them. I want to be in community with them. I want to, like, when we have these dinners, man, there's just, like, just some great high-achieving people. And it's just really cool to be around and, and learn from each other. And I first found this out when I was coaching with the Brooklyn Nets. And I'll just make this story short. Is yeah, I always get out on the court before the game, before anybody else. And it's just kind of my ambiance and my time to be at peace with myself before the game starts. And there's a guy out there before me, he was on the other side of the, on the other side of the court, just shooting hoops and like these old raggedy jeans and shoes. And, and I walked by him and I just wanted time to myself. And I saw him missing shots and as and he just looked over at me and said, you know, the older you get, the legs go. And I, being a shooting coach, I had to counteract that as, you know, it's not all about the legs. It's about how you build the power, the momentum. So I knew he was really interested. I could tell. I didn't want to really go through a 15, 20-minute lesson with him, but I did. I was living in that service type of mode, and I showed him a few things, and he was getting more range on his shot. He was making more shots, and he was just juiced up. So now the real players are coming out, so we have to get off the court. And and I say, hey, you know, if you want any more information, uh, just, just let me know. I'll give you more drills and stuff. He's like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So he pulls out his business card. He hands it to me. I just slip it in my pocket and go on my way. So I can get five, 10 minutes before the game. And I'm sitting there right before tip off. And I pull out this business card and it says Mark Cuban. Like this was before Shark Tank was super huge. And I can never tell a celebrity when I see a celebrity out here in LA, it was Mark Cuban. And I was helping Mark Cuban harness his inner power for something that he was passionate about. And after that, I sent him a, I sent him the drills and we become very good friends. And we talk often. I, ask him for any advice. And if I can help him in basketball stuff, he asks me, but it was about giving, giving something that somebody else valued to make a genuine relationship. And far too often we look at people as what can you do for me? And if you can't do something for me, you don't talk to him. But if I, like, if I had lived like that going by Mark Cuban, I would have just passed on by him and it's like, whatever. But if you treat everybody, every, every relationship, every person that you come across, like this could be the, your best friend in life. Like this definitely could be treat them like that without expecting them to give anything to you. Because another redefinement of terms 
is, is networking. Like I hate that term because it's just a dirty connotation to it. It's like, I'm going to go on my LinkedIn. I'm going to hit people up and see what they can do for me. No, genuinely pour into others and keep giving and giving and giving with just without expecting anything in return, be happy with giving and helping them. And trust me, when you do that, everything comes back to you. And it's just so much more powerful having genuine relationships with people as opposed to just the networking. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I told you this, but the book I'm working on right now, actually, the, the, the premise is exactly that. It's actually networking is dead. How to build life changing relationships in the 21st century. And it's exactly that. I mean, I think we're, we're living in a, in a culture that has such antiquated, uh, constructs really of reality. I mean, whether it be the healthcare system, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the education system is outdated and, and the way that we look at building relationships, oftentimes, at least culturally prevailing notion is, is this notion of extracting value, right? Like the, it's, ho- it's horrible to go to a place and like, you know, have someone looking at your name tag while they kind of look over your shoulder to see if someone quote unquote <laughs> yeah. more important is there. And I just yeah. feel like it's a totally broken model. And I think one of the things that I'm breaking down is, is to just help people um, garner those insights on how to build those kinds of, of powerful and life-changing relationships. And I think that's something that you just do naturally, right? Like I've, something I've noticed about you is you are consistently reaching out to folks to check in on them. You are genuinely like, you know, I don't think, know that I've reached out to you for anything, but I know I have a sense that, you know, if ever I did need to, you would be the kind of person that would show up, right? Like, it's like, I just feel like you, you stand as a excited and wanting to be a contribution. And that's, I think, partly, you know, I, I think it really goes to your credit, but, but, but just partly your, your DNA. And so I feel like what I've seen in coming to these dinners is is someone who's committed to community and adding value to other people. So I call that actually the cascade effect. Cause when you go to dinner, you're not just, you know, potentially creating value for the person that you're connecting with one-on-one, but you're creating a context in which everyone at that dinner can add value and create value with each other through the cascade of, of influence that they can have in terms of just connecting with, with one another. So I feel like that's one of the ways in which kind of community unfolds and it's something that I think you you naturally have a way about you. And just for those listening, you know, I think that that not that that's your objective, but then that leads to value creation in and of itself, right? Like you had no expectation. You didn't ask, for example, to come on the podcast. I was just like, I knew David had a book coming out and I knew that it would be valuable to have him on the show. And he had been a consistent source of just adding value to my life. And so for those listening, I feel like that's such a valuable way to be. It's such a valuable stand. And it leads to people wanting to, you know, there's sort of a law of reciprocity, wanting to be a valuable contribution in your own life. And that's the way in which I feel like things, you know, move optimally, as opposed to sort of this notion of just like, hey, how can I extract value? Just being a contribution and being a stand yeah, as a contribution is so powerful and the degree to which it yields uh, results is is profound. And I love that story about about Mark Cuban. I think that's I mean, that it really just sort of proves the point. 
Um, well, listen, David, I know that we, we were about to hit, hit our hour and I do want to just give a shout out. So you, you are releasing this book, Pivot and Go. Um, I've, I've checked it out. I, I, guys, I highly recommend you pick up a copy. Um, w- tell, me, tell me, how is this book launch? Because the other thing I'm curious about, uh, David, is you've, you've secured some in- incredible support for your book launch. And I know a lot of my listeners are authors and entrepreneurs. Do you have any great insights? I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll do a shout out for the book here. But, but do you have any great insights from your process now being in that sort of, you know, in the playoff season, if you will, as it relates to a book, I know you put your heart and soul into um, any great insights for those who may have their own vision of launching something, a book, a company, etc, that you're learning from this process? Man, yes. And I'm very excited to read your book. Like that's an awesome, awesome book that really needs to get out there. And just to reciprocate what you said as well, bouncing it back to you, like every time I talk to you, like it, you, it's just me and you and it, having that kind of mentality in every conversation you have, like that's why, you know, you literally know more people than like you're just hanging out with the Dalai Lama or something like it's, but it's genuine relationships that you've built. So that book is going to be amazing. But yeah, man, the, the, the book process. So here's what you got to know is it's a great process. I love the process, but know that once you write the book, it's just beginning. If you want to get the book out there, unless you're Oprah or someone like that, that already has an amazing, amazing following, getting it out there is daily doing something every single day. And sometimes you're taking swings that you don't even know if they're going to make contact. Sometimes they'll hit double. Sometimes they'll hit home runs. Sometimes you'll swing out, swing and miss. But I was very blessed to to be able to develop a genuine, great relationship. He's become one of my best friends with John Gordon, who's a great author. And he just told me, you know, take a step daily, like keep working on, keep building it up. It doesn't just end when the book releases. So when this book comes out August 4th, I'm not just going to be like, all right, well, it's over. No, I'm going to continue to talk to companies with the book. I'm going to continue to try to go on more shows. Like I got the today show lined up and have a lot of other big ones in the, in the works, but it's, it's really, it's really a labor of love, but it's something that if you know you have a book that can change lives and help people, it's like, why would you stop trying to get it out there in front of people? Like this, honestly, man, if, and I'm not just saying like, if this book sells a thousand or if it sells a hundred thousand, if it can literally change someone's life to live their life in a better perspective daily, then that's really, I've done my job and that's, uh, I can rest in having that joy. I love that. Um, a final couple questions that I, that I like to ask. Um, yeah. one is, you know, do you have, if you had two to three resources, whether that be, uh, a book or a course or, you know, some type of, you know, tool that someone could use to have the most, radical impact on their life you know two to three things that come to mind um can you just kind of give us a sense it can be again it can be a book a film you know you know a course um, anything that you would recommend that people could uh dive into obviously aside from pivot and go your own book that's coming out that could have the greatest impact on people's lives yeah. So number one, I would say the Bible. That's the biggest thing to me. I start every day with reading something out of the Bible. And uh, that's that's why my, my belief is why I'm here, why I'm on this mission doing what I'm doing. So that's that's the number one tool. The second tool that I found that to be the best is Jack Canfield's success principles. 
I've gone through that like 10 times and I continue to learn from it. That is an absolute gold mine of tools. So those are probably the two biggest books that I would say. And I, no, I'm going to give you one more book that I really, really love. And it's, it's very difficult to do, but when you can do it, you know you're hitting your stride is Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Just mm-hmm. such a good book on saying like, hey, there's going to be so much out there. And that's the great thing about this life we live. We have so many opportunities, choices that we can make, but make sure you focus on what is essential. So if you go for those three books, you're going to improve in some type of area. And then, of course, I mean, Pivot and Go is just the cherry on top. 100%. <laughs> uh, and, and let me ask you this. This is, uh, this is the final question. But before we get to it, where can people find you, David? Uh, where, where's the best place that, for people who want to you know, tap back into your work or, or dive deeper into what you're up to? Where can they find you online? Yeah, online, on social media, Twitter and Instagram, David Nurse NBA. And I... I get back to anybody that sends me a message. It might take a little while, but I will get back to you because I know I was at that point as well. So you can find me there. You can find me at davidnurse.com. My podcast, which you were an amazing guest on, and we're going to have to get you back on when your book is coming out, The 1% Podcast. And Or, yeah, you just come out to L.A. and you just kick it with uh, me and Michael at Air One. <laughs> That's right. We got to do another Air One soon, my man. We do, man. We do. Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Final question. What is your vision or what does peak mind mean to you? Peak mind to me means pouring into others, giving, giving, giving without expecting anything in return while pouring into yourself. So you're pouring into yourself with what we've talked about, these 1% steps, because you know that that peak mind, that point that you want to hit, it's up there. You take the 1% steps to get there, understanding you're going to enjoy that process along the way so that you're pouring into yourself. All this stuff that you're doing to pour into yourself to make yourself this peak mind, this peak performer is so that you can pour into others, so that you can lead others to ultimately lead others. Love it, brother. Love it. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for our friendship. Uh, Those listening, check out his book, Pivot and Go. Uh, there's so many people right now looking uh, for effective ways and, and paths to pivot and towards that, that horizon we're all looking for in our lives. So David Nurse, man, grateful for you. Thanks for being on the show, brother. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Michael, you're the best. We got a beach walk in Air One. We really have to lock that down. I'm in, man. I'm in. Let's do it. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with David Nurse. I know that I did. Uh, if you did enjoy it and you found that you'd like to go deeper, check out his book, Pivot and Go. Uh, for those of you who are new to the community, thank you guys so much for being here. It means the world to me. My commitment is to bring more uh, amazing guests every week uh, simply for your betterment. So if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And uh, you can leave us a comment at David Nurse and at Michael Trainer over on Instagram. I always listen to and respond to your feedback. I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of this community. With that, please go out there and live your inspired life.